0: hello welcome to reading in the attic a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel my name is camille laguire and i'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic so pull up a dusty chair and settle in As we left things last week, Vicki's attempt to rescue the kidnapped kid was interrupted when CJ started shooting at Denver. CJ shot, and Denver fell out of sight into the deep culvert behind the farmhouse. And that's where we begin. Harsh Climate by Camille Laguire EPISODE 3 Vicky scrambled toward the culvert, while CJ tried to wade through the brambles to get a closer look. She kept some trees between herself and him, and her path was clearer, no brambles or fence. But she had to keep low. She got to the edge. The culvert was a deep ditch, maybe 10 or 15 feet deep, with steep sides. There was a foot of water at the bottom, with a skin of ice. She leaned out and looked in the direction where Denver had fallen. She could see C.J. at the top. He was having trouble with the barbed wire fence and couldn't lean out as far. He could see her if she leaned out any further, though. She thought she saw Denver at the bottom, lying still. C.J. finally backed off and went toward the house. Vicky slid down into the culvert and picked her way along, leaning against the wall of dirt and long grass as she avoided the water at the bottom. Denver lay still, his body half in the water, but his head was up. He was alert. He was watching the bluff above him and maybe afraid to move. Vicky worked her way closer as the voices of the bad guys drifted down to them. "'He is dead,' said C.J. "'Maybe if he wasn't dead,' snapped the boss, "'we could ask him what he was doing here.' "'He was stealing our gas,' said C.J., clearly hurt by the criticism." Denver saw Vicky and he waved at her to stay back. She paused against the wall of the culvert. I had to kill him, insisted CJ. He was stealing our gas. Okay, never mind, said the boss. I had to. There was a pause, and the boss changed his tone, like an adult placating a child. Okay, you're right. He saw my car. Maybe he'd remember later. It was the right thing to do. "'Sure, it was the right thing to do. You did good. But you can do better, C.J.' Their voices faded as they moved away. Vicky scurried closer as Denver pulled himself slowly out of the water. She grabbed his arm and they worked their way along the culvert, closer to the shed. Denver stumbled and seemed to have trouble moving. Vicky pushed him against the wall of the culvert. "'Where are you hurt?' she said. "'I don't know.' he said, his teeth chattering. I'm I'm too cold. I can't feel it. She felt him over, looking for any signs of a wound. Other than a rip in his pants that looked like it was from the barbed wire, she couldn't find anything. I think they missed you, she said. You're okay. He nodded, but he was shivering so hard he couldn't quite answer. She touched his face. He seemed very cold. Shit, she said. She looked around, not quite sure where she could take him to get him warm. She could see the corner of the shed from where she was. It wasn't much, but better than nothing. She pulled on his arm. Let's get out of the wind. He nodded, and she scrambled up the bank, scouted a moment, and reached down to help pull him up after. They went to the door of the shed. She could hear the voices of C.J. and the boss still. She leaned to peek out from behind the shed. She could see them standing with their backs to her. They were looking at the gas can and pointing down the road, which left only the guy with the iPod in the house, and he wasn't likely to notice anything. And Denver needed more warmth than the shed could provide. She grabbed his arm and pulled him toward the back door of the house. "'Come on,' she hissed. "'Where?' he chattered back. "'You've got to get warm or you'll die.' They made it to the porch." She could hear the boss's voice drifting to her. He was telling C.J. to check the road and make sure there were no signs that Denver had been there. He'd be coming back to the house himself any minute, she thought. She peeked through the window. No one in the kitchen. "'The basement door is that way,' she whispered to Denver, and pointed so he would know which way to go when they got inside. He nodded. She opened the door quietly, and then they both stepped into the warmth of the house. She pushed Denver toward the basement and watched toward the living room. She could hear the muffled sound of music from the guy's earbuds. Good. Denver scuttled toward the basement. Vicky looked down and saw he was leaving a trail of wet footprints. She peeked again at the living room and grabbed a towel and started to mop up. Denver stopped to see what she was doing. Go, she whispered. Wha wa, said Denver. I got stuff to do. She shoved him to the door of the basement get your wet stuff off. She pushed him through the door and shut it behind him. She mopped the floor quickly and peeked into the living room. The guy had stopped dancing and appeared to have settled on a couch or a chair. All she could see was his arm dangling down, gesturing to the music. No way could he see her. She slipped quickly into Kevin's room. The little boy moved his head. It's still just me, she whispered. You okay? He nodded, so she patted him on the foot. I just need a blanket. She glanced around the room, looked quickly in the closet, and found it empty. Then she saw there was a trunk at the foot of the bed. Eureka! It was full of sheets and at least one blanket. She grabbed an armload and shut it quickly. Sly was still on the couch. She started to slip back to the kitchen, but the kitchen door flew open. She ducked back just in time. She heard the boss call to CJ. And don't forget to nail the window shut on the kids' room. Nail them all shut, just in case he does get loose. The boss shut the kitchen door and headed straight for the living room, right past the bedroom where Vicky flattened herself against the wall. Sly, she heard him say once he got into the front room. Sly, turn down the music and listen, you freak. What? said Sly. Vicky peeked and saw the boss had moved around the corner, and neither of them could see her. She stepped into the hall and headed for the kitchen. "'Feed the kid,' said the boss. "'Sure thing, boss.' "'Now!' Vicky had just made it into the kitchen. She moved faster, trying not to make noise. She could hear Sly coming down the hall fast. She didn't think she could get through the door and shut it before he'd be in there, so she ducked behind the refrigerator. There was space there, in the corner next to the basement door. And she was on the hinge side so even if he opened the fridge door, he wasn't likely to see her. She hoped. But Sly didn't go to the fridge. He pulled a pan out of the cupboard and a can of soup out of the grocery sack on the counter. He looked at the label of the can and headed back toward the hall. Hey, kid, he called. You like tomato? He likes whatever he gets, shouted the boss. Vicky started to sneak out from behind the fridge, but Sly came right back. He had his headphones on again now, and he danced a little as he turned the stove on and emptied the soup into the pan. He added some water and then set it on the burner. He stepped over to the trash to toss the can away, which brought him within sight of Vicky. but he was too busy bopping to the music. He paused to stir the soup and danced out of the room. Vicky came out from behind the fridge and jumped for the basement door, but as she got it open, she looked at the soup. The burner was on high and the soup was already steaming. She could hear the voices trickle in from the living room. "'What are you doing?' snapped the boss. "'It's got to cook, man. You can't feed a kid raw soup,' said Sly. She tossed the armload of sheets and blankets down the basement stairs and headed for the cupboard. She quick grabbed a cup and glanced back to see if anybody could see her. They were far into the living room. "'You are an idiot,' said the boss, as Vicky poured a little soup into the cup." I'm just saying, said Sly. He was heading back for the kitchen. This time Vicky made it to the basement and shut the door. She could hear Sly stir the soup and comment to himself, Man, they put a lot more soup in the can when I was a kid. Vicky waited until she heard him move away from the kitchen before creeping down the old stairs. They creaked a little, but not much, if you kept to the sides of the steps, where they were nailed in more solidly. Score one for the experience she had sneaking out of her own house. Denver's wet clothes were piled at the bottom of the stairs. She glanced around and saw that the basement itself was mostly empty, except for a furnace and some trunks and camping gear. Denver was over by the trunks, wrapped in the blanket. He was trying to pull a sleeping bag out of the trunk, but he was shivering and trying to hold the blanket around him, and he couldn't seem to manage to get a grip on the sleeping bag. Vicky tested the temperature of the soup. It wouldn't burn, but it was warm. She handed it to Denver and reached for the sleeping bag. He was shivering so bad the soup started to spill. She took it back and held it up to his mouth. "'Drink,' she whispered. "'It's not too hot, so gulp it down.' He drank as she tipped it into his mouth. His shivering seemed to slow down. He took the cup, and she pulled out the sleeping bag and laid it on the ground." He started to climb in, but she stopped him. Wait, there are a couple more in here. She laid another on top of the first, so he would have some sort of mattress. The floor was not only hard, but cold. f thank you, said Denver, and he climbed in. She rummaged and found another sleeping bag and unzipped it to put another layer over the top of him. He snuggled in. She paused to look at his face. God, you look gray, she said to him. She tucked the bag around him. He was still shivering a little, but he gave her a weak smile. I- I- I'm, I'm g-good. G- yeah, you're doing great there, Poughkeepsie. He didn't answer. She sat back and didn't like what she was seeing. It had taken too long to get him warm, and he wasn't warming up fast enough. Then she remembered what he'd said in the car. You can conserve heat by putting two bodies together. He was right. Crap, she said. She kicked off her boots, and she shed her jacket and sweater. He tilted his head and looked quizzically at her. "'I'm not stripping down to the skin for you,' she told him. "'You're welcome,' she said, and she climbed into the sleeping bag. "'And this doesn't make you my boyfriend.' "'N-n-never!' She couldn't help but smile. That's why she liked Denver. He was game for anything." Judy Anderson sat curled in an uncomfortable hospital chair. Exhausted, frightened, her usual cool demeanor was frayed at the edges. What was she going to do? She was on her way back to being nothing, an assistant, not even a new member of a family. Peter lay in the hospital bed in front of her, still unconscious, but still hanging on. She watched him breathe and realized her own breath seemed just as labored, The nurse came in and checked on his stats. "'He's going to die, isn't he?' said Judy. "'He's remained stable all night. That's a good sign. "'When he wakes up and remembers that Kevin has been kidnapped, it will kill him.' "'We'll get him through it, Mrs. Anderson, you and me. Have you had news of your son?' Judy shook her head. "'He's not my son,' she thought. The nurse wouldn't understand. Most families were normal.' Rich families are different. Judy'd always thought that was a good thing, a thing to be desired. "'He'll need your support, too, when you get him back. He'll be—' "'Not likely,' said Judy bitterly. She roused herself and sat up in the chair. "'He'll have his Aunt Sally, and Aunt Sally will have him. And the house, and the money. Not really fair, is it?' "'How's that?' said the nurse sharply, cocking her head. "'Curious type?' Or was she just one of those who liked to know it all and didn't like to be contradicted? Who the hell cared? Judy needed to talk to someone. We just got married about a month ago, said Judy. Oh, I'm sorry. Peter hasn't got around to changing things like his power of attorney or his will. He has all his money in trusts and corporate shelters. That goddamn bitch has control of everything. Mrs. Anderson, warned the nurse disapprovingly. I'm working my ass off, taking care of Peter and his house and his business, catering to his kid, his family, and that. All she has to do is walk in here, whisper something nasty to Peter, and he'll die, and she'll have everything. The nurse straightened, stunned. Are you saying that she would actually harm him? Judy would have loved to accuse Sally. Maybe even use such an accusation to wrest some of Sally's power away from her. But it would be a lie and that would come back and bite her in the butt. "'No,' she said bitterly. "'No, it's just that she has the power and I don't. It isn't fair.' "'Mrs. Anderson,' said the nurse firmly, "'you're under a lot of stress. Those morbid thoughts are getting to you.' "'Yes, I guess they are,' said Judy. "'I will take great care of Peter for you. You need to step back and take care of yourself.' "'Take care of yourself.' The word struck Judy like a glass of cold water. Yes, she said. Take care of myself. You're absolutely right. Judy used to be good at taking care of herself. Lately, she'd been so busy taking care of Peter and all that she had forgotten about herself. No wonder she was terrified. She'd left herself an orphan. She got up and picked up her purse and the plastic bag of Peter's things. After all, while he was alive, it was still her job to care for him. And there was a valuable watch in there. Sly was not stupid. He was the first to admit he could be a little careless sometimes. But if the boss wanted somebody careful, he could be as careful as anybody. And he was sure that the boss had hired him for his brains. Maybe C. J. was big, scary, and obedient, but he wasn't smart. So Sly did as ordered and wore his mask as he tucked the kid in after feeding him and taking him to the bathroom. C.J. was outside pounding nails in the window. The kid jumped with every bang. It's okay, we're just locking down the window, kid, said Sly. He went and pounded on the window himself and glared at C.J. C.J. glared back and took his hammer and nails and went to the next window and started banging away at that. Then Sly went back to the living room and made a big show of shutting the door behind him and taking off his mask so the boss would know he did it right. You got the kid's phone? said the boss. Oh yeah, you should see this phone, boss. A lot of phones these days got movies, but with this one you could make a movie. I mean edit it and everything. If you got the right app, you can buy one just like it with the money you get from this job. I don't have to buy it, said Sly. I'll just steal it and crack it as long as you don't steal that one. You know, boss, if you remove the SIM card, they can't track it, said Sly. The boss gave him a warning look. Just jerking your chain. I will sanitize it, smash it, and throw it in the lake when we're done. No trace to us. Have you turned it on? Nope. Good. Now tell me what you remember of the rest of the plan. I go up to the rest stop on Forty Nine because there are a lot of other people making calls there, and nobody will remember one guy making a call if they track the signal. I call the kid's dad from the kid's own phone, and then I call you from my tacky, worthless, piece-of-crap phone. Don't mix them up. Like I ever would. I'll use the numbers programmed into the phones anyway. No mistakes. All right, it's late enough. Get on with it. Sure thing, boss. C.J. came into the house as Sly headed for the SUV. He watched the little weasel go. He could see Sly was uncomfortable with the way C.J. watched him, so C.J. made a point of watching him more. He shut the door and turned to the boss. "'He's going to screw up,' said C.J. "'You mean like you screwed up shooting the guy in the driveway?' "'It was necessary,' said C.J., louder than he meant to. He hated it when the boss didn't understand." The boss, though, waved at the air like it didn't matter. Okay, fine, said the boss. He smiled. C.J. relaxed. The boss really did like C.J. best, even if he was cranky sometimes. Sly won't screw up, said the boss. Not when he's working with a gadget. Besides, we need him. Why do we need him? I don't like him. To take the fall, said the boss. Or are you going to do that for us? No said CJ. Taking the fall would be a good job for Sly. CJ wished he could fall on him himself, but you can't have everything. Vicky lay in the sleeping bag, wrapped around Denver, who had stopped shivering. He had been so cold at first that she got a chill, but it seemed warmer now. She'd been listening to the creaking of the floor and the murmur of voices and to the door. And now the TV came back on and the voices stopped. The guys upstairs were quiet. It was time to get to action. She patted Denver's arm. How are you doing? she whispered. I'm good, he said. I'm all warm and... Let's leave it at good, she said, before he could make a quip they would both regret. She crawled out and stretched and bent to get the kinks out. Then she grabbed the edge of one of the steps to use as a bar and did a quick arabesque. She saw Denver sit up, watching her, but then he looked away quickly as she glanced at him. He checked his clothes, still wet. She picked up her sweater and offered it, but he shook his head. Uh, thanks, you know, for... he pointed to the sleeping bags. Let us never speak of this, she said firmly. Right. Right he said, and he turned away so fast she realized she had said something wrong. He got up, still wrapped in the blanket, and started rummaging in the trunk that had the camping gear. "'Um, look,' said Vicky, "'I just wanted to say thanks to you. "'I mean, for all the shit you're putting up with.' "'Think nothing of it,' he said shortly. "'So he was pissed at her. "'What did he want? "'Was he mad because she'd had to rescue him? "'Guys!' He pulled out a camouflage jacket and some rain pants. She turned away while he put them on and listened to the sounds of the TV above. "'They're quiet, and I think one of them left,' she said. "'Yeah,' said Denver. He pulled out an orange hunting hat and turned it inside out. It was reversible, and the other side was camouflage. He put it on. "'I should go and get help now,' said Vicky. "'Wait,' said Denver. "'For what?' If we had gas for the car, we could get help faster, he said, and he reached into the trunk. If we get to a gas station, we can get help and gas at the same time, she said. But then he pulled out a length of hose from the trunk. It even had a little pumpy thing at the end, a siphon. No, said Vicky. It's okay, I've done this before, said Denver. They almost killed you. I didn't know they were bad guys with guns when I came up the drive. I'll be careful this time. Somebody should stay here with the kid, she said. Keep an eye on him. Fine, you stay. You've got to keep warm. No, I'm good. Besides, this is my job, right? I'm the ride. And if you're ever going to get me to San Diego, I'm going to need you alive. We're going to San Diego? He looked surprised, and she realized she hadn't told him where they were going. He'd agreed to take her there, and he didn't even know. He hadn't asked. Where did you think we were going? Denver. Well, why would I ever go to Denver? Because he looked surprised and then suddenly embarrassed. I mean, I don't even think they have a ballet school there, she went on. All they do is ski. Why would I want to go there? I thought maybe you liked the place, he said, his voice getting a little louder. She glanced up at the floor above. He hushed himself and fiddled with the tube. "'Fine,' he said quietly. "'We're going to San Diego. "'We'd better get started. "'Are you staying or going?' He didn't wait. He just headed for the stairs. "'I'm going,' she said after only a second's hesitation. She scrambled to catch up. "'A minute ago, he was just this guy "'who went along with whatever she wanted. "'And now—' "'Okay,' he said as they got near the top of the stairs. "'I'll go first.' Then if I get caught, you can hide and try later. And now he wasn't even hesitating, even though an hour ago he'd almost died. She looked at him with new admiration. He paused and looked puzzled. What? I think a better plan would be for you to not get caught, she said. So Denver's showing some guts. But then if he didn't have guts, he wouldn't have blithely headed out to parts unknown with a broken gas gauge and no socks, just because Vicky called. But I think for all her arrogance, Vicky kinda knows that. So next week, Denver and Vicky push forward on their plan, while the kidnappers continue theirs with the ransom call. So that's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille LaGuire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Apple's iBookstore, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers!